everyone. I'm Esther Pan Sloan, Head of Partnerships, Policy and Communications at the United Nations Capital Development Fund. Welcome to season two of Capital Musings, UNCDF's podcast, where we focus on fresh ideas and new innovations that serve our mandate to make finance work for the poor in the world's least developed countries. You can find our Capital Musings podcast on Apple, Spotify, or our website, www.uncdf.org. Today, we are speaking with Jenny Abramson, founder and CEO of Rethink Impact, the largest US-based impact venture capital firm with a gender lens that invests in female leaders using technology to solve the world's biggest problems. Jenny sits on five company boards and three foundation nonprofit boards. She is a former tech CEO with leadership roles across education, media, and data companies. She was named a 2020 Forbes Impact 50 with Bill and Melinda Gates, Serena Williams, and other luminaries, and one of Entrepreneur Magazine's 100 Powerful Women. She's spoken at everything from South by Southwest to the United Nations and has been covered extensively in the press. She holds bachelor's and master's degrees with honors from Stanford, an MBA and Dean's Award from Harvard Business School, and was a Fulbright Scholar at the London School of Economics. Jenny, it's a pleasure to have you. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me. What led you to found Rethink Impact? Well, um, as you mentioned before Rethink Impact, I was actually the CEO of a tech security company. We were focused on preventing sexual assaults and school shootings. And there were two really interesting things I learned from this experience. First, as an impact tech CEO, I noticed that leading an impact business, uh, social impact not only didn't hurt our business, it actually helped our business. It helped us hire great talent. It helped us close deals. Um, And so I really saw a financial opportunity and impact beyond the obvious impact side. And second, as a female tech CEO, I rarely saw other women on the stage with me. Uh, there were just less peers and, you know, getting the blue chip investors. And I was wondering why this was the case. And what shocked me about it was that more than 20 years ago, when my own mom ran a venture capital fund that invested in women, sort of the first of its kind, female founders got two and a half percent of venture dollars. And today, uh, that percent's about 2.6%. So we hadn't moved much when I started this, it had actually gone down. And despite the data, that actually shows that on average, female-led companies are exiting faster by a year, have a higher revenue rate, about 10% higher or more capital efficient and get higher valuation increases. So it struck me as both an inequity, but also an opportunity. So Rethink Impact was a way to merge my interest in impact with the opportunity around gender lens investing. And Jenny, we've run across that statistic before about 2%, you know, two and a little percent of total venture capital dollars going to female founders. How is this possible 20 years after your mother was doing it when we know women are increasingly earning the professional degrees? 50%, I think, about of women in the United States are the breadwinner in their family. How is it possible that that uh, 2% statistic has not moved in decades? You know, it's a great question. Um, There's a lot of theories on this. I think part of it is that more than 90% of the people in jobs like mine, investment decision makers are male. And venture is very much a pattern matching business. And because especially in the early stages, you don't have perfect data on what a business is doing performance wise. Uh, It's too early to tell. And so you're often looking for people that might remind you of your own success if you've been a successful CEO. And so you have a lot of money going to sort of the stereotypical 
you know, hoodie uh, in California. And so you have cycles that just continue. And I think we're starting to see those cycles break, but it's not shocking that it, it takes a lot to break those cycles. And I feel like this really reminds me of a story I heard about the film industry, which was, you know, a young white male filmmaker in a a baseball cap got, you know, Star Wars, one of the Star Wars franchise movies for a second movie. And they were like, oh, yeah, you know, Spielberg liked him and reminded him of himself. And so I think you see this pattern recognition across so many industries and how pernicious the uh, impact is if it's only one group recognizing itself. Everyone else gets left out. Absolutely the case. Yes. So are you seeing any start of a change to that as you and more women start VC firms and start investing in female founders? Are you seeing that um, changing at all or will it just take many more years? You know, we actually are seeing that change a lot. Um, We are start, we were really seeing before the pandemic, the numbers start to increase to the highest levels ever, both in terms of who's sitting in investor roles like mine, um, more and more diversity there, as well as who is getting the capital. And while there's still a lot of work to go, um, we're really seeing progress. And I will say it's been a bit disheartening to see the impact that COVID has had. Um, the data has actually shown that investments in women-like companies are rates you know, as low as 2017, um, despite overall venture capital investments staying on par with previous years. So it's not that investing slowed down during COVID. It's just who it went to. Um, I think a lot of people sort of went back to their networks and didn't sort of expand out. Um, But I also have some hope because I think um, Zoom has showed a lot of people that there is real potential for people who don't live just in Silicon Valley or don't live just in New York to have access to investors. And I think more and more investors now are comfortable meeting entrepreneurs, investing in people who they haven't met in person, which I think will open up geographic barriers um, and other diverse barriers um, that exist. And I know this is something that you've raised before that you get deals from something like 36 or 37 of the 50 United States. And people don't usually think about that as a disadvantage, but of course, location and access are a huge disadvantage. Yes, we think it's a a competitive advantage for us that we'll look at deals in every state. Um, We are spread ourselves as a team geographically, um, and we've invested, I think, in nine or 10 different cities across the country, and we think that helps, actually. We think it's a a very good thing to be doing when you're investing. Great. So what's your investment thesis? Besides looking for companies that are female-run, what are you looking for? Yeah, we look for U.S.-based primarily businesses that are, as you said, female-run. Typically, they have between a half million and 15 million in annual recurring revenue um, when we're going into them. So that's often at a Series A or B, but it could be at a late seed. It could be at a Series C. Um, And these companies are usually addressing major market gaps by bringing innovative solutions and improved affordability and access in healthcare, in education, in environmental sustainability, or in the financial service sector. So those are the four main sectors. And we're investing in companies that have what we think of as a potential for market rate or above market rate returns. And while there are many ways you can have an impact and invest with impact, we're focused only on the companies that have potential for impact with great returns. And the reason behind this is twofold. Yes, we want to make money for our investors. Um, It's part of our mandate. But we also believe that the impact itself is much more sustainable if the company has a thriving business. And so the more revenue the company has, the more impact they make. And we believe that's critical for that impact to endure. So that's a lot of our thesis. 
Your first fund in 2017 raised more than $110 million and became the largest female-focused VC fund in the US. Congratulations, that's a tremendous achievement. Can you talk about some of the investments that you made with that fund? Sure, I'm always happy to talk about investments. Um, you know, I'll give you a range of examples just to give you a flavor for the kinds of things we do. Um, you know, as I mentioned, we see real financial opportunity and big problems in businesses that are tackling big problems. So a company like Winnie is tackling the childcare crisis in this country. Um, it's a searchable on-demand resource that connects parents with affordable childcare and preschool, preschool resources. They allow parents to discover high quality local daycares and preschools, and they help childcare providers fill open spaces and get support and resources to run their businesses efficiently. And they've done a great job helping frontline workers find open childcare during the pandemic and helping childcare providers make clear what their COVID precautions are and other things. And obviously this is particularly important since 700,000 parents with young kids left the workforce in 2020. And for many loss of childcare was to blame. Um, and so that's sort of one example of a business. Another very different one is Sempre Health, which is bringing behavior-based dynamic pricing to medical prescriptions. So basically helping tackle the fact that 20 to 30 percent of prescriptions are never filled and 50 percent of medications for chronic diseases are not taken as prescribed. So each year this costs the U.S. healthcare system about 100 billion to almost 300 billion and results in about 125,000 deaths. And so what the company does is they parse millions of prescription records to identify unique patient behaviors and deliver the right price to the right patient, which makes drugs more affordable, boosts medication adherence for health plan members, and has the potential to save billions of dollars in unfilled prescriptions for pharma companies and others. So we're, again, looking for these businesses that are helping both sides. Both businesses I just talked about disproportionately impact lower income populations um, and people who've been left out of systems. And I'll give you one more example just to have a very different one, which is futurefuel.io. It's a fintech platform targeting the 44 million people in the US who collectively owe about 1.5 trillion in student debt. And so they do this by enabling employers primarily to offer student loan repayment and refinancing as a benefit to their employees. So in an effort to sort of provide an ROI and employee retention is better, they increase workforce diversity, they increase productivity of employees who are otherwise stressed and worried and needing other jobs to pay down their debt. And they also work directly with consumers to help them lower their monthly debt payments. And so, you know, they work with companies like UBS Bank and other Salesforce and other major companies to pay down on their debt uh, more quickly and efficiently. That's so interesting because the three examples you've given us are essentially social problems that one could imagine there are NGOs or advocacy groups working on, but you have found ways to, or your entrepreneurs have found ways to address them through the mechanism of business, which I think is a really interesting approach that maybe some of our listeners haven't considered in the past. Yeah, I mean, we think both parts are critical. We think that the nonprofit sector government is critical part of solving a lot of these issues um, and parts of these issues, which frankly market forces can't solve, but that without about five to $7 trillion of private capital a year, it is going to be hard to tackle some of the UN sustainable development goals that we care so deeply about. Absolutely. And I also think it's really fantastic that you are demonstrating to us, I mean, most people I think of um, 
kind of non-finance folks think of venture capital as a very rarefied space where it's hard to get into and it's hard to understand the mechanisms of the decision making. And yet you're explaining that the, your approach is really looking at underserved populations in the same way that say a UN agency does to say, uh, how do you solve problems for those populations in ways that also may produce a financial return? Yeah, actually a great example of that, you know, we have a company we invested in Evidation Health, which is a technology powered healthcare company working to measure health in everyday life. So basically turning behavior data into useful insights and enabling and empowering everyone to participate in groundbreaking research and health programs. They partner with leading healthcare companies to better understand health and disease sort of outside of clinic walls that have traditionally been harder for certain populations to access. And they lead to much more accurate and equitable drug and health treatment development. Right now, I think 83% of clinical trial participants are white, which has serious implications and risks for the efficacy of certain treatments for people of color. And Evidation is reshaping this industry with 66% higher non-white representation in studies that their technology fuels. Um, And so we feel like when you see opportunities like that, it's not just about business, although it certainly is a good business, but it's also about really giving access to populations that have been left out of clinical trials and left out of opportunities. I think that's fascinating. I remember hearing about you know studies of heart drugs and how all the prescription data was based on a male of a certain weight. So they actually had no idea how it worked on women because they'd never thought to test them on women. Exactly. So, <laughs> we're glad you're addressing this problem. So your second fund, Jenny, in uh, raised in 2020, was oversubscribed at about $180 million. Are you seeing more demand from the market for women-led firms? You know, I think the fact that we have seen more and more female-focused funds in the past few years, you know, up until certainly 2020, and funding of female entrepreneurs increased. It, it did get to 2.8%, a whopping 2.8% in 2019, I think Harvard said. Um, shows that there has been an increased demand in the market. And it also helps that there is enough data now showing that female-led funds, companies outperform. Funds that go from 10% to 15% in female leadership see about a 4% increase in fund IRR was an HBR study. And so I think that helps. And I think that you will see more and more there. I think still too many funds are small and therefore can't deploy the kinds of capital that sometimes you need to be able to get your fund returns up, the follow-on capital in your winners. And so I think that's still a struggle for a lot of female-led funds. And given this data that we're increasingly seeing about performance of companies that have diverse boards, performance of leadership teams with more diverse perspectives, you know, increased return on stock price, lower cost of borrowing, why is everyone not rushing out to invest in more diversity and more female-led firms? You know, (laughs) great question. Um, I am hopeful that we're at a turning point. I'm hopeful that with more and more, you know, saw the Bumble IPO, um, one of our companies, Guild Education, that's helping frontline workers with education, got a billion dollar valuation uh, a year or so ago, you know, big unicorn status. And I think the more female led businesses, especially impact ones that you see um, getting the kind of um, notoriety that these businesses are getting, I think the more that capital will follow that. You know, at the end of the day, that is a benefit of capital markets as they do follow the data. I think it's been slower because 
you know, you still have to raise capital. You still have to do all the things. You need a track record. You need a lot of things that make it hard to get started. But I do think that you'll see more and more of these successful female-led businesses uh, go on to have their leaders invest in other female-led businesses. And that same cycle we talked about before will help. And I think diversity is, in my opinion, a driver of returns. And that's not just gender diversity. That's all kinds of diversity, diversity of perspective, race, thought, um, experience, geography. And so I think you'll start to see changes. But obviously, I wish they were a little faster. Absolutely. So why does your fund focus on A and B rounds? No, I often call this the valley of death for women, um, which I also see as an opportunity. Um, Over the last 20 years, there were about three times as many early stage rounds, series A and B, raised by all male teams than those started by female founders. Um, And what's more striking is that if a female-led team, meaning a woman in the C-suite, can actually get past a series B, they're as likely to raise those later stage rounds as their male counterparts. Because at that point, there's no longer the sort of unconscious bias and everything else. It's just pure data on how the business is doing. And so the gap that we wanted to tackle was between the super early stage funding, of which there are now actually, there's been a proliferation of more and more seed stage funds, early stage funds focused on women, and the series C and D and E, where at that point the data sells itself, allows the companies to get running, but that sort of series A and B, that institutional capital to scale them from 1 million or 5 million revenue to 100 million, we really saw a gap there. And that gap was both an opportunity, but also an impact um, in our view. And this type of investing has traditionally been the purview of very knowledgeable or sophisticated kind of financial people with a financial background. If there are women who uh, we know that women are increasingly controlling more of their household spending, more uh, GDP, you know, overall their wealth is increasing as a category and a demographic. If there are women who wanted to support women-led businesses, how could they get involved with an organization like yours? You know, I think it depends. Uh, We're not raising capital right now, but I think funds, you know, will raise capital at various points. Um, And I think there are ways if someone is an accredited investor or a qualified investor, depending on what it is to get involved. I think there are other ways to get involved in investing with impact. We have a company, our portfolio, Elevest, run by Sally Krawcheck, who um, until recently was probably the most senior woman in Wall Street. And she, um, you know, started an investing platform designed for women by women. And and allows people to invest in women and impact in other ways um, and to learn and to grow and to do all sorts of things. And so I think there are businesses out there like Elevest who allow people to get involved depending on where they are. Obviously, there are other ways people can invest in you know, female-led businesses that come to them. People can invest directly. Um, so there's a range of ways people can invest. It's nice to know that there's that range out there so that you know wherever you are kind of in your personal journey or your desire to support women or this type of asset class, right? Women-led companies, that there are ways to get into the market. Um, So let's go back to the pandemic. We know from our work in poor countries that the pandemic really just hit small and medium enterprises so hard. What kind of impact has the pandemic had on your investees? As I shared before, I think it certainly has hurt female-led businesses broadly. And I talked about the numbers going back to 2017. You know, in some ways, the fact that we focus on impact businesses as opposed to, say, a lipstick company or a suitcase company has helped many of our companies because the problems that our companies are tackling, whether it's mental health, a business like Spring Health, 
or um, future fuel, you know, tackling student debt that we talked about. Um, these problems have, have frankly only been exacerbated by COVID and therefore their opportunities for growth have been, um, have been positive in many cases. And so we've actually seen a number of our companies successfully raising capital, growing their revenue. Um, I'd say the companies where it's been more challenging are those that are less pure tech. So if there's a physical good component um, or an inventory, you need to deliver something to a customer. Obviously that's a lot harder. Um, and some of the more preventative health businesses can be challenging um, because people are pretty focused on um, COVID and responding to health crises as opposed to prevention. But I'd say on the whole, we've been very fortunate that so many of our businesses have thrived during this time. That's great to hear. And also it shows that you know, the market keeps going no matter what's happening in the world. And so if you're choosing the right problems to solve, then um, they'll still be there no matter what's happening. I think the other piece is there is a lot of venture capital dollars out there. And so these firms do have money to put to work. And so if you're running a good business, I think moments like COVID um, force businesses that are, that are maybe not being run as efficiently to get more efficient, which can be a very good thing. And I think if you're running a good business, it's a great opportunity actually. So we had um, a colleague who was talking about kind of this sloshing around liquidity in the market, that globally there's all this money searching for deals and it's chasing kind of silly deals like WeWork and who knows what else. Is that money coming after any of your investees or is there still a big gap between where the money is that's looking for investments and the firms that you see that are seeking investment? Well, I don't think anyone investing in our companies would be silly, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I mean, look, I think there is some money out there. I think there are places where there's inflated prices and that really matters long-term. And so I think you're seeing that, but I, but I think frankly, the kinds of investors who are looking to invest in Rethink Impact portfolio companies, I think are very thoughtful. Um, we've been incredibly impressed with the syndicate of investors that have come into these companies that frankly care first and foremost about returns, but also believe deeply that the impact that these companies have had led them to have some of the best talent out there um, and a pretty large addressable market, frankly. And so I think we, we feel very excited by the kinds of investors around the table at these businesses or around the Zoom screen, I guess, as you say. So one thing that's very distinctive about Rethink Impact is your office hours. Please tell us about those. Yeah, they started in 2017. I think it was in response to the sexual harassment issues that came out of the Valley. Um, and as part of our effort to change the culture in the industry, because yes, it's you know about the 20 or so deals we do in every um, fund, but frankly, we look at about a thousand deals a year. And so we really wanted to help the industry more broadly and on diverse entrepreneurs more broadly. And so we wrote an open letter to all female entrepreneurs and social entrepreneurs with gender diverse teams, uh, management teams, and let them know that we're here to support their businesses. And whether, um, you know, that my partner Heidi and I really care, we want to show our support that our whole team would start office hours. Um, first, they were in person in our three cities, New York, D.C. and San Francisco. Um, but we also said we do it by video to any city. Um, and anyone anywhere. And they were immediately booked up. We had a number of our investors who signed the letter and put their faces and they were well-known, certainly better known than we are. Um, and it was so successful that we've actually continued them to this day. And we feel like it enables entrepreneurs to 
access somebody. I can't tell you how many times somebody says to me, I've never been able to get in touch with a single venture capitalist until this office hour. And some of them we would never invest in. Um, they're just not a fit for our thesis or they're way too early. Um, some we actually track and we might look at them two years later because they are right for us. Um, some of them have referred other deals to us that we did end up investing in. So we didn't invest in that company, but they brought us someone. So we think it's a good way to make sure that we're looking as broadly as we can from a pipeline standpoint. And also another great example of something that no one has thought to do before, right? It was a very kind of clubby closed world and nobody really thought I'm gonna open the doors to anyone and let them walk in. And you guys are doing this to build the ecosystem and make it easier for um, entrepreneurs across the world, but you're also getting great potential pipeline leads out of it, right? So it's, it's benefit on both sides. That was the thought. So, you know, when we see anyone copy it, we think we think it's great. The more that we can open up um, and make it less clubby. Um, and, you know, our thesis is we're going to have all the relationships that are sort of in the venture capital world that you would expect. And then also meet people, talk in podcasts, do things that other people maybe aren't doing so that we have as many people hear about this work as possible and know what's what's um, out there from a capital standpoint. So Jenny, you've worked in this area for a while. You've seen kind of a few evolutions of it. What changes would you make to make the landscape easier for female founders and improve the ecosystem if you could just make wave a magic wand and make them happen? You know, get more funding to female entrepreneurs. I, I mean, I know that's sort of the, the obvious answer, but, you know, the more we talk about the data that shows that this strategy actually performed, the more we can improve the ecosystem. Um, the more people here that companies started by women, founded, co-founded, generate 10% more revenue. The more people can hear that, the more I think they believe it when they see um, what they would otherwise think was an outlier. The more they see that gender balanced teams see a 64% instead of a 55% valuation increase, the more they would believe, again, an IPO that they read about started by a woman, not as an exception, but as the norm. And the more that they see you know, the data around exits happening faster, because obviously time value of money is a critical thing in finance, the more that I believe that they'll put their own dollars into investing in diverse teams. So we couldn't be more excited to have this data out there, to have people see opportunities of success, individuals, whether it's a Rachel Carlson um, or so many others, um, and then to start to see the change themselves through their own capital. Great. And thank you so much for being part of that change, because certainly part of changing the ecosystem and the environment is changing the face of who's making the decisions and changing the environment and the atmosphere around who is listening to your pitch. What is the mood? What is the um, kind of tenor of the questions? I'm sure that makes a huge difference as well for the entrepreneurs that you're meeting. Well, thank you for saying it. And thank you. I mean, I think honestly, it is people like you who have a voice and organizations and institutions that can help be part of this change um, and change sort of who's in the network and who's hearing about different opportunities. So thank you for everything you guys are doing. Excellent. Well, we'll wait for the 20th uh, Rethink Impact Fund to be opening in Tanzania with all female founders. And we'll be very excited to be supporting that as well. <laughs> Thanks Thank so, much. so much for joining us today, Jenny. No, I really appreciate being here. And if there's more information that people want, I'm at Abramson Jenny on Twitter. We're at Rethink Impact and we're constantly trying to put out information about the work we're doing, ways that people can get involved. So always happy to share information that way too. Terrific. Thank you. And thank you to all our listeners for joining us on UNCDF's podcast, Capital Musings. 
Once again, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, and our website, www.uncdf.org.